we are all too familiar with people speaking back to authority figures. We encounter it every day. Children talk back to their parents. Students talk back to their teachers. What once was shocking has now become commonplace. What should be shocking is how inappropriate it is. It is one thing to talk back to earthly authorities. It's quite another to talk back to God. This morning's message is one that is talking about the inappropriateness of talking back to God. Notice the key verse is Romans 9.20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Or as the NIV translates it, to talk back to God. God has just spoken to us regarding how he loved Jacob but hated Esau in Romans 9.13. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So that raised a question. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unrighteous? The answer comes at the end of verse 14. By no means. NAS, may it never be. King James, God forbid. How could we ever think that God would be unjust? Then Paul appeals to the word of God as to what God says on this matter to prove the truthfulness of the doctrine of election. Verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh. So it's talking about what God says. God said to Moses, the scripture says to Pharaoh. Then Paul draws a conclusion, verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he will have mercy, and he hardens whom he wills. Now comes an anticipated negative response to what God had said regarding his hardening, whom he will harden, and having mercy on whom he will have mercy. Verse 19, you will say then to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? This question has the force of talking back to God, according to verse 20. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? <clears throat> talking back to God is being disrespectful or impudent towards God. It's one thing to sincerely question what one is taught, seeking to have a, a better understanding, seeking to have a better grasp, a better appropriation, uh, a better ability to uh, communicate and uh, to express that, that doctrine. There's nothing wrong with asking questions if the spirit is right. If the spirit is truly a desire to understand no more and know God more fully, then go for it. Ask all the questions one could ask. But when they're asked in a spirit of rebellion, when they're asked in a defiant way, when they are asked in a spirit of taking God on, as it were, it's totally unacceptable. It's one thing to say, I don't understand. It's quite another to choose God, to, uh, to reject what God says, and to charge him with wrongdoing. You see, there are some, when they hear of God's hardening some and having mercy on others, raise their fists toward God and say, how could you? That's not right. 
Some would even say, I can't worship a God like that. That, of course, is an inappropriate response. That is defiance. That is talking back to God. So this morning, we're going to look at two reasons as to why it's inappropriate for us to talk back to God. The first reason that it is totally inappropriate for us to talk back to God is because God is far superior to us. God is far superior to us. The question begins with familiar idea with inappropriate responses when a person talks back. That is, when the person in authority encounters the individual that is talking back, often asks the question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Which is exactly what our text is saying in verse 20. But who are you, O oh man? Okay. Where do you come off asking a question of God in that tone of voice? It's a very important question. Who do we think we are? There is a reminder in verse 20 that we are simply men. We are a part of mankind. And it is tended to put us in our place. For man stands in contrast to God. Notice verse 20. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? How can man ever think that they have a right to pass judgment on God? How can finite, frail, weak human beings venture to dictate to God how the world should be run? Who do we think we are that we presume to call upon God to account and pass judgment on him. We have overstepped our bounds when we talk back or sass God. It is not our place to put ourselves on the same plane with God and speak with him as an equal. Far more, it is totally inappropriate for us to put ourselves above God as though God were accountable to us and he must answer our court of judgment. God is God, and we are not. That is something I think that is helpful for us as a mantra. To go through the day, in times when we want to complain, in times in which we might question, in times in which we think that we're being treated unjustly or unfairly, it's good to remind ourselves that God is God, and we are not. We should never lose sight of who God is. Pharaoh questioned who God was, that Pharaoh should do what God told him to do. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go, Exodus 5, 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Who does God think he is that I, Pharaoh, should listen to him? Who is this Lord? Why should I be obedient to him? Pharaoh, thinking that he was superior to God. We all, I hope, can recognize the inappropriateness of that response, but the question is still asked today. All too often, people ask the question, who is God to tell me what to do? 
What right does the, the Bible have to dictate to my life? We think that we have the ability and freedom to do whatever we want. And if God wants to step into our freedoms, he better watch out. Are we really going to try to bring God into a court and ask him to allow us to judge him? You know, it's easy to look at a passage such as this and, you know, just kind of pass it off as saying, well, yeah, of course, we understand that's not right. Uh, who would do that other than Pharaoh? Who would say, um, I'd like to give God a piece of my mind. I'd like to instruct God. I would like to teach God. Who would do that? Can you think of another example in the scripture? Other than Pharaoh? Think about it for a moment. Let's go to the book of Job. Job, the person who the scripture teaches us is the most righteous man on the face of the earth, went through a tremendous ordeal, a tremendous amount of suffering. I want us to look at some passages. Turn with me in your Bible to Job. It's the book right before Psalms. Starting at verse, chapter 23, verse 1. And we're going to work our way through the book of Job for a moment. Job chapter 23. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's referring to God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat, the place of judgment. Verse 4. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Job is saying, I would demand of him to speak and I would raise my questions. And he would reveal the answers to me. Verse 6. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him. And I would be acquitted forever before my judge. Job says, I would defend my case and I would win. I would prove my innocence. I would demonstrate my stand. Job gets his wish. He stands before God. But he finds out that he's not interrogating God. God is interrogating him. Turn with me to Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. Starting at verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder Contend with the Almighty. A fault finder, a person who finds fault with God. 
Is he going to argue with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job is smart enough to shut up. Job says, I don't have any answers. How can I come back? How can I respond to what you say to me? Job chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? And of course the answer is no. And the passage ends with Job being humbled and says, I heard of thee with the hearing of mine ear, but now my eye sees thee. He came to realize who he was before God. But even the most righteous person on the face of the earth was tempted and did say, if I could just have an audience with God, I would tell him a thing or two, he would listen to me, and I would prove that I'm right. Maybe we don't say those words, but have we ever really challenged God in our own mind of thinking that what he does is not right, that it is not good, it is not just, it is not loving, it is not kind? Have you ever said to God that you are unfair, you are unloving, you are unmerciful? Why are you putting me through this? I don't deserve this. I have been faithful to you. I have been doing your bidding, your will. I don't get it. Life is miserable. Are your promises real? Is your word true? Are you the faithful God that you say that you are? There is a pain and an anguish from which those questions can arise. Even as Job went through all the suffering that he did. The emotional suffering of losing all of his children. The struggles of losing all of his wealth. The physical struggles of having incredibly painful boils and sores and all kinds of hideous diseases and maladies that were coming upon him, and then the misery of his friends who were no help or comfort at all. Job was at his wit's end, and the best of men cried out and called God with folly. We need to guard our hearts. It's all too easy for us to begin to think of ourselves as more important than we are, smarter than we are, wiser than we are, just or just than what we are, that we'd put ourselves on the plane with God. It is totally inappropriate. God is far superior than we are. Secondly, 
it is inappropriate for us to talk back to God because God has the right to do with us whatever he pleases. Let me say that again. It is inappropriate for us to talk back to God because God has the right to do with us whatever he pleases. The question now turns to a question of rights. Look at Romans 9, starting at verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? The question is a question of rights. Has the potter no right? Doesn't the potter have the right to do anything he wants to do with the clay? Think about it. Here is a potter sitting at a potter's wheel making pottery. Picks up a piece of clay and starts forming it. And as he is forming that clay, does the clay look at the potter and say, why are you turning me into this? Why are you making me like that? Why aren't I taller? Why aren't I shorter? Why don't I have a handle? Does the clay say to the potter, you need to make me this way? And I don't like the way you have made me? Or does the potter have the right to do whatever he wills with the clay? In the analogy, of course, the potter is God and we are the clay. So the question is, does God, the potter, have the right to do with us the clay as he chooses? Isn't it our right to question God? Isn't it our right to say, God, why didn't you make me thinner? Why didn't you make me taller? Why didn't you make me wiser? Why didn't you make me a better athlete? Why do I have this speech impediment? Why don't I have better eyesight? Why can't I sing? the way I'd like to say. Why, why, why? Why have you made me like this? It's not right. It's not fair. It's not good. Does the potter have to answer the clay? The potter analogy is very common in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16, it says... You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? And the thing made should say to its maker, He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, Why are you making? Or... Your work has no handles. And then the most well-known passage, turn with me to Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. 
This is God rebuking Israel regarding their faithlessness to him. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there will you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I do with you like this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Cannot I do with you as I desire, even as the potter has done with the clay? It's interesting reading the commentaries on this particular portion of God's word. C. Dodd writes this. He complains that the illustration is defective since human beings aren't pots. You can't compare a human being to a pot, is Dodd's thought. Totally inappropriate. That's not who we are. We are living, thinking, emotional, rational creatures. We are not pots. He says it is demeaning. It is abasing. That's the whole point. It is demeaning. It is debasing. It's intended to knock us off of our horse. For we are pots. We are clay vessels. There is a very appropriate analogy in thinking about our relationship to God. The analogy is based on a biblical reality. A reality in which God, who is the creator, makes us who are the pots. God has created us. And this is the reality and is the root of our worship. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He has made us and not we ourselves. That is one of the most important distinctions between ourselves and God. We are man, he is God. He is the creator, we are the creature. He made us. We owe our existence to God. But not only did he make us, God the potter has indeed formed mankind from the very clay or dust of the earth. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. We were actually made from the dirt. We were actually the clay that God formed. He breathed into us life. 
And God is the giver and sustainer of life. We talk about life as though we have control over it. And you will hear people talk about individuals that, that struggle so hard in their desire to stay alive. And they will talk as though they have prolonged their life or that they have extended their life. The reality is that our days are numbered. They are in God's hands. He is the giver. He is the sustainer of life. The proper response is not to just now wallow in the mud. That's an intended pun, okay? We're not to just wallow in the mud and say, woe is me, I am good for nothing. That's not, that's not what we're saying here. We're not saying that we are of no account. We have no ability, we have no worth. But rather, we are to marvel at God's interest in us and the value and the worth that he places upon us. For the psalmist says, what is man, O God, that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, that thou visitest him. What is man that you would take time to be thinking about us? What is man that you would come to us? You would take on humanity. You would send your son to die on the cross so that we could have everlasting life and to be with you. The proper response is to marvel. It's, it's just to be amazed. God would do that for me. The creature the creator for the creature who is going to jump in front of a speeding car in order to keep a pot from being run over yet God sends his son for us the proper response is marvel it's amazement it's not to question the goodness of God or the mercy of God or the justice of God, but rather to say, oh God, it's amazing you have saved any of us. None of us has any right to speak back to God. And if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we ought to not thank our lucky stars. We're to bow before a sovereign God and praise him for his goodness and grace that he has saved us. The point is that it's appropriate for us in any way to talk back to God for he has the right to do with us as he so chooses. Verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use. I will talk about that at much more detail next week.
But the point is that God uses us in different ways. And God gives us different abilities. God gives us different talents. God uses us in different ways. And so, like there is crystal, which has a more honorable use, in the sense that crystal is saved for special occasions, and uh, we just bring out our fine china on uh, those uh, very uh, unique occasions, and it gets special treatment, and it's put in a very nice cabinet and put on display, and then there are paper dishes that are disposed, useful, on which hot dogs are served and picnics are had. We're different. Some are exalted, some are humbled. Some are given incredible abilities, others less so. Ours is not to compare one another, ours is not to question what God has done was to recognize that there is a use and purposefulness that God has for me. And I need to rejoice in that purpose and submit to the way in which he has made me. For he has equipped me the way that he wants. Growing up, I had a real inferiority complex because I was the dumbest person in my family. I have a very smart sister. I have a brother that's brilliant, truly brilliant. He has a photographic memory. So whatever I did was poor in achievement compared to those two. My parents even wondered if I should go to college because of the comparison. I used to struggle with why didn't God make me like my brother? Man, if I could have had that memory, how I could use that for God's purpose and work. You know, if I could just remember everything I read, I can't remember anything I read. Wouldn't that be nice? God has made me just the way that he wants me to be. And God wants to use the limitations to bring him glory, to serve his purpose. God has the right And not only does God have the right, but God should be praised. For we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that we should know right well. Psalm 139. We should be amazed as we stand and think of the way in which we are intricately wrought. And how he had plans for us before the very foundation of the world. And the way that he has made us. We live in a society in which mankind is obsessed with its rights. And we believe as mankind that we have certain rights. Mankind is obsessed with those rights. In our society, one aspect of our rights is the woman's right to choose with respect to abortion. The argument is that it is her body. And she has the right to do with her own body whatever she wants. What's the real issue at stake? The answer is, it's not her body. It's the Lord's body. And she cannot do with her body anything that she wants. 
For our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. They are a place that is made for the dwelling place of God. No, a woman doesn't have a right over her own body. We're caught up with the right to die. Isn't it our prerogative to choose when, where, and how we die? Of all things, certainly that's under my control, my authority. It's my life. And if I don't like it, I should be able to end it. I should choose when, where, and how I die. And nobody has the right to tell me otherwise. I don't have the right to decide where and how and when I die. That right is reserved for God. The God who is the giver and the sustainer of life. Who are we to reply back to God? Our role is to relinquish whatever misinformed rights we think we have and give them over to a sovereign God who really does have the right, the moral right, on every level, superiority, power, and the moral right of doing what is just and holy and good. God has every right to do with me as he chooses, and more than that, I should rejoice in what he chooses. For it's right, it's good, it's holy, it's just, and It's purposeful. He has a reason. It serves his purpose. The way that he has made you serves his purpose. Rather than fight against God's sovereignty, we should welcome and embrace it. it. Our confidence is in a God who made us with a purpose, and saved us for a purpose. Listen to Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. There's the imagery. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You have made me. You have made me for a purpose. I dedicate myself to you and your purpose. That is the right response to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are the creator God. Not just in some abstract sense, but you are our creator. You are my creator. You have made me. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have made each and every one of us so different, so unique. Lord, I I pray that we can submit ourselves 
to the way in which we are made. And we can glorify you by seeking to fulfill the purpose that you have for us. Living out in the vessel that you have given us. Submitting ourselves. Entrusting ourselves. Embracing your sovereignty. And saying, oh Lord, here I am. Use me as you have made me. May we not reject your authority. May we not falsely boast in our rights. But, O Lord, say to you, whether it be in sickness or in health, today I dedicate myself to you. I will give thanks to you in whatever situation I am in. I will rejoice, for this is the day that you have made. And I'll rejoice in it. O Lord, help us not to raise a fist, but rather to raise open hands in praise and desire to reach out and understand more fully and be embraced by you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.